This is Jaden Geraci. Jaden wants to ask her papa a question. Why are you there? Was I there? Well, I'm going to answer that question. You can go back to your nana. <laughs> Was I there? You know, I have a picture of my great-grandmother. My mother's mother's mother holding me mm, some 60 years ago. She was born in 1889. And I guess when you're young, that seems like a long time ago. You know, as we sang the song, Were You There? Well, obviously, I wasn't. But Matthew was. Peter, James, and John weren't that far away. There were people who surrounded Jesus and listened to Jesus on those final moments of his life. My great-grandmother was born in 1889, but Karl Marx lay dying on his bed in March of 1883, his housekeeper came in to record his last words, and Marx screamed, go on, get out, last words are for fools who haven't said enough, but are they really? What about the last words of Jesus from the cross? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again ask that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the glimpse that you give us into your heart as we consider the sacrifice of Jesus and the surrender of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, records the last words of Jesus from the cross. In verse 44, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Three hours he hangs on a Roman cross. Then the sun was darkened, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And in verse 46 it says, And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says, having breathed his last, he said this. On the day that Jesus died, the scriptures record seven statements windows, if you will, into the character of Christ and lessons for those who desire to see into the heart of Jesus and into the heart of God. Three of those statements are found in Luke's gospel. The conversations may have been heard in part or, or whole by those people who had gathered around the cross that day. There was a hardened criminal. There was a seasoned soldier. There was the public at large. There was a group of women. And there was a religious leader. 
One saying is given and repeated by Matthew and Mark, three by Luke, three by John. All seven sayings fall into two groups, the first three into one group, the last four into another group. The words were spoken to God the Father by Jesus the Son. And four of those words were to people who were close by Jesus at the cross. Briefly, the first window and the first words are found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second window is found in Luke 23, 43. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The third window is found in John 19, verse 26 and 27. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. The fourth window is found in Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth window is found in John 19, 28. I thirst. The sixth window is found in John 19, 30, where Jesus says, it is finished. And the seventh window here in chapter 23, verse 46. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Three of the seven sayings are prayers to God. The first, the fourth, and the seventh. The fifth saying, the one we now consider, or the seventh saying, the one that, that we're considering at this point, is again, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The first window allows us to see a love that forgives. The second window allows us to see a love that transforms. The third window sees us a, a, a love that makes a provision. The, the fourth window allows us to see a love that questions. The fifth window allows us to see a love that suffers. The sixth window allows us to see a love that triumphs. And here, finally... This seventh window, we're introduced into a love that surrenders. Love in its purest form is willing to surrender to the object of its affection. That's why it's so easy for when Jaden says, can I come up and say something? I go, sure. All the grandbabies have to do is say, Papa, could you provide this for me? We know the father loves the son. And we know that the son loves the father. We learn from the scriptures that the father sends the son in Galatians 4.4. 4, and in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. The father and the son glorify each other in John 17 verse 1 and in his high priestly prayer in verses 4 and 5. The son obeys the father and the son surrenders to the will of the father. And by the way, when we look at the life of Jesus, we never see the word father far from his lips. You'll remember at the age of 12, Jesus is 
lingering and he's left behind and his mother and Joseph go on ahead until they discover that Jesus is missing. And remember, in a frantic search, they come back to find him. And do you remember Jesus' words? Even at that tender age, he says, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the term father some 15 times. He repeatedly uses the term in the upper room and the high priestly prayer. He's constantly referring to his father. Jesus will die confidently in the father's presence. The Lord Jesus comes to the world to die for sin. The Lord Jesus in his life teaches us how to live and then his death provides us instructions about our own mortality. All the words of Jesus are filled with interest and guidance and instruction. But these final words are words that provide special importance. Most of us are interested, at least I am, in famous last words. Clovis Chappell tells the story of a man who made his life in the restaurant business and he was very, very successful. All over the United States, stores popped up, restaurants everywhere and people flocked to eat his food and on his deathbed, he whispered, slice the ham very thin. Now we might laugh at that. There's nothing necessarily wicked about those final words. But it does bring our attention to something. It means that his ruling passion in his life followed him in his death. And that is an insight that we can all learn from. What rules us in this life will eventually follow us in our death. Throughout history, there have been bitter enemies towards Jesus and Christians and Christianity. You may never have heard of Sir Francis Newport, but he was the head of an English infidel club. In his day, he was a person who promoted atheism and embraced atheism and encouraged other people to say, there's no God, there's no church, there's no Jesus. And when it came time to die on his deathbed, he wailed in anguish, quote, Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon the fire that's never quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer to the end of my torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity, forever and ever Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. The people who had gathered around his deathbed, he said to them, you need not tell me that there's no God. For I know there is one. And I'm in his angry presence. You don't have to tell me there's no hell. For I already feel my soul slipping into the fires. 
wretches. Cease your idle talk about there being no hope for me. I know that I'm lost forever. Voltaire, another famous atheist on his deathbed, addressed his doctor. He said, I'm abandoned by God and by man. I'll give you half of what I have if you'll just give me six more months of life. And the doctor replied, sir, you can't live for six more weeks. And Voltaire replied, then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. And he died. Contrast that with lovers of Jesus. Francis Havergal, the famous songwriter and hymnist who, who lived and breathed the word of God and the language of praise. God's word was her constant companion. On the last day of her life, she asked a friend to read to her from the 42nd Psalm or actually the 42nd chapter of Isaiah. And when the friend reached the sixth verse of that chapter, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep thee. Miss Havergal stopped her and she whispered, called, held, kept. I can go home on that. And that's exactly what she did. She went home. During World War II, a prisoner wrote, quote, Sunday, April 8th, 1945, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer held a little service which reached the hearts of all. He had hardly finished his prayer when the door opened. Two evil-looking soldiers came in and barked, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. The words meant only one thing, a scaffold. As he bid his fellow prisoners goodbye, he said, For me, this is the beginning of a new life, eternal life. We could go on and on and on. William Carey, the famous missionary, he said, quote, when I'm gone, speak less of Dr. Carey and more of Dr. Carey's savior. Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles and John Wesley said, children, when I am gone, sing a song of praise to God. John Knox said, live in Christ, live in Christ and the flesh need never fear death. The last words of Jesus were from the scriptures. Jesus is quoting Psalm 31.5. Jesus dies confidently in the presence of his father. Jesus dies confidently not simply in the presence of his father, but also with the promise from his father. Jesus told the religious leaders in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life, but they are those which testify about me. 
In life, Jesus spoke the word of God. And even in the painful humiliation of a public cross, it is the word of God that is inside of his heart and are being spoken from his lips. One writer said, quote, it's strange that he should need to quote the scripture. We might have thought that he could dispense with all that and have used his own words, unquote. But what a poverty of insight that is. All scripture is given by God. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture are his words. What ignorance that it's the Bible that provides comfort and it's the Bible that provides information and it's the Bible that provides love. And Jesus provides both comfort and guidance. In David's messianic psalm, Psalm 31.5, David writes, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. We have in Jesus' dying declaration both an addition and an omission. Jesus, instead of speaking of God as O Lord God of truth, calls him Father. Jesus speaks of God as his Father and then Jesus omits Thou hast redeemed me because he's the sinless savior. He has no need to be redeemed. Jesus will die the redeemer for those who need a savior. The lost world. And Jesus applies this promise from David's psalm to himself. The last words of Jesus also or a prayer. Even when he's praying that prayer, it's interesting to me. There's a very famous Bible teacher who lived a long time ago, William Barclay, and he suggested that Psalm 31 verses 1 through 5 would serve as a template for Jewish mothers who put their children to bed. What a beautiful thought. Especially for any mother who has ever prayed the prayer. Okay, now I want you to pray after me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I awake. I know for many kids they go, what? <laughs> you mean I could just close my eyes and then all of a sudden I'm dead? What a scary, frightening prayer. But again, it is a comforting thought, a beautiful thought that Mary may have poured over this prayer with young Jesus, the confidence Jesus cries out to his father. By the way, three times on the cross, Jesus addresses God. Remember what I said? In the first, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. In the fourth, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here in the seventh, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What's interesting to me as he faces this horrible ordeal, this painful death, Jesus is praying at the beginning of the ordeal and in the middle of the ordeal and at the end of the ordeal. And it should give you insight and guidance and courage as you have to sometimes take a journey into a place that might be a little bit dark 
and might be a little bit difficult. And you pray at the beginning of the journey and you pray in the middle of the journey and you pray at the end of the journey. You see, the death of Jesus in a very real way provides for us a glimpse into our own death. Jesus' death is very public. I doubt very seriously if most of your deaths will be public. It will probably be very private. I hope your deaths are like those glorious deaths that I've been a privilege to participate in where the saint is lying on his or her bed and the family gather and they're singing songs of praise and they're glorifying God. The Lord Jesus lived a surrendered life to the Father's will. Jesus dies with confidence because he's in the Father's presence. Jesus dies with confidence because he's received the Father's promise. Herbert Lockyer writes, quote, If we love and serve the Savior, then death will no longer be a leap in the dark for us, living in eternity sunrise. Ours will be no fear when death, the king of terrors, calls from the earth. Faber has it, quote, Trust in God is the last of all things and the whole of all things. I remember visiting a hospital and a grieving daughter came out because her father was on his deathbed. And I remember saying to her, you know what? Your father has taught you so much. He's loved you his whole life. And the lessons that you've learned, you've been able to use throughout your life. But there's one final lesson that he wants to impart to you. He wants to teach you what it means to die in Christ, in the presence of his father, with the promise of his father, with the protection of his father, the heavenly father. You see, that's exactly what Jesus does. He dies in the presence of the father. He dies with the promise from the father. He dies with the protection of the father. How do we know that? Because Jesus' last words are, into your hands I commit my spirit. For many hours, Jesus has been in the hands of sinners. Hours earlier, it was the hand of sinners that seized him. It was the hand of sinners that tied him. It was the hand of sinners that nailed him to Calvary's cross. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. It was the hands of sinners that seized him, arrested him. It was the hand of sinners that beat him and stripped him and then nailed his hands to the cross of Calvary. Jesus dies in reality. Jesus dies intentionally. Jesus will die confidently and willingly and victoriously. Because his work is complete. Jesus surrenders his spirit 
into the hands of his father, which is the only place where the spirit of saints belong. Jesus died for sinners. And someday, barring the return of our Lord Jesus, you'll die. But if there's one big lesson that we learn from this passage, it's this. In most cases, people die just the way they lived. And so guess what? It's with confidence and victory that you can have comfort because if you live in the presence of your father, if you live with the promises of your father, if you live knowing, believing in the reality of the protection of your father, you don't have to worry about a single thing. You know, our culture doesn't know much about the art of dying well. We have little understanding of how we will one day have to abandon this earthly tent. Paul, the apostle, defending his ministry, spoke of the honesty and power of God in trial and suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he said, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is simply for a moment, is working in us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If you live in the presence of your heavenly father, if you live with the promises of your heavenly father, if you live in the protection of your heavenly father, then I guarantee you, that when it comes time for you to say goodbye, you'll die in his presence. You'll die with his promise. You'll die with his protection. Because he did what he invites you to do. Surrender. Surrender to his love. Surrender to his will. Surrender to the promise. Surrender to the future that he's entrusted to you. And guess what? We're just a few days away where hope returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for grace and for mercy. Thank you, Jesus, that your death on the cross provides a mechanism of forgiveness. That your hands were nailed to a cross, temporarily incapacitated, but now they're free to work, to touch to heal. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us a window into your love. That you've given us a window into the kind of love that can forgive us our sin, that can transform us from the inside out, and that can make a provision for eternity. 
a love that's bigger than any doubt or question that we may have. And a love that's large enough to see not only in your suffering, but in our own opportunity, knowing that Jesus triumphs. And so, Lord, again, Lord, we pray that we would be forever grateful. Lord, we pray that as we look back in history, And we consider the mystery of your death. That Lord will grow and that will mature and that we'll be ready for when our time comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.